Before we read our scripture this morning, let's bow our heads and ask God to illuminate this scripture for us. Our Father, quiet our hearts and stir our souls as we read your scripture together this morning. As your people, we listen for your message and pray for the courage to live in the light of your love. We pray in your name. Amen. Our scripture this morning is Psalm 98, the whole thing. And you can find it on page 551 in the Pew Bible if you'd like to follow along. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have gotten him victory. The Lord has made known his victory. He has revealed his vindication in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the victory of our God. So make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who live in it. Let the floods clap their hands, let the hills sing together for joy at the presence of the Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. The word of the Lord.
Thank you, choir. Jim, this beautiful work on the clarinet. What a gift it is to have such a... Yes, yeah. It's a real gift to have these musicians in our community who share their gifts with us and explore God's uh, love and goodness through song and music. So thank you to our choir. Thanks, Luke and Dylan, as well. Beautiful music today. <laughs> in way of a segue, I'm going to offer a little bit of music myself this morning. It's one of those Sundays. So get ready for it. <clears throat> I got my first real six string, bought it at the five and dime. I played it till my fingers bled. 69, me and some guys from school had a band and we tried real hard. But Jimmy quit and Joey got married. Should have known that we'd never get far. Oh, when I look back now, the summer seemed to last forever. Oh, and if I had the choice, I knew that it was now. Oh, no, that's a different verse. Yeah, I'd always want to be there. Those were the best days of my life. Woo! Little Brian Adams to start us off this morning. Oh. All right, all right, all right. So, friends, think back. When were those best days of your life? The glory days. The time you return to, if only. Think about them. I hope they bring a smile to your face, because they do for me. I hope they warm your heart a little bit. I think back to my years of undergrad at Western Washington University, just up the street here. I think back to the house of guys that I lived with at 611 North Garden Street, Apartment A, across the street from Mathis Hall. I think of summer of 2003, specifically, the summer after sophomore year when we first moved into that house. It was the first summer that I started dating Stacy after we'd met just months ago in a Latin American history class at Western. Or perhaps I'd recall the first couple of years of marriage with Stacy, living in the Sea Home Court apartments right next to Joe's Garden on 32nd Street. <laughs> or maybe it was the year leading up to my son Asher's birth the preparation for a new member to be in our family. And in some ways, these last couple of years of my life have been some of the best. Serving here at St. James, seeking to live into my calling as a pastor, the fullness of who God has made me to be. These are the best days of my life. But if I'm honest, those days are also intermingled with all kinds of heartache and tragedy. Through the last, that list of times of wonder for me, I might also recognize that they were times of struggle. In those years, both my father and my father-in-law battled cancer. So did my wife and my mother-in-law. My grandparents had heart issues, strokes, and fell into dementia and eventually have begun to pass away. Having a new child was difficult in the midst of pursuing a master's degree and Stacy pursuing her doctorate. My sister came very close to death in those years. We began to watch as our friends 
marriages began to fall apart, people that we'd spent those best days of our lives with in their wedding parties. And while these recent years have been fulfilling in my calling, I have to also say that they've been difficult, they've been draining, and they've been growing and stretching for me. I don't mean to be a downer, (laughs) but rather to note that to hold on to the good old days We must do so with the tension of strain and the reality of the whole of life. We kid ourselves if we idealize some particular time when things were greater. Now think about it. When someone hearkens back to the days when things were once great, don't we honestly have to wonder? Do you mean when there was greater widespread disease and hunger? Do you mean back when people in our nation held others as property in institutionalized slavery? Now, I don't want to tear down the good old days. They were good. But as the passage we're going to hear this morning reminds us, it is restoration, not something that brings back something that was lost, but something that fulfills what is hoped for. A new way is coming. And in particular, we read in this passage from the prophet Haggai as a promise of the restoration of the house of Israel, not simply a reunited nation-state, but a house that rises up out of the line which leads to Jesus, a house that is made whole in Christ alone. Now, before I read our second scripture reading, I want to tell you, these writings come from around 520 BCE, a small remnant of people have returned to Jerusalem after a period of exile in Babylon. They're governed by a man named Zerubbabel and the high priest Joshua. They're subject to control of a regional governor in Samaria. Babylon has been conquered by the Persian Empire, ruled by King Darius. And as it will be for centuries in Israel, there are outside imperial forces setting up governors to rule over the people as an occupied but somewhat free and rebuilt community. It is following this period that the second temple of Jerusalem is rebuilt, which would stay standing until it was destroyed in about 70 CE. Here our second scripture text, as Haggai questions, who remembers the good old days? Haggai chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. In the second year of King Darius, the first, in the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the prophet Haggai, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, son of Shilti, governor of Judah, and Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you that saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? It is not Is it not in your sight as nothing? Yet now take courage, O Zerubbabel, says the Lord. Take courage, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Take courage, all you people of the land, says the Lord. Work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts, according to the promise that I made you when when you came out of Egypt. My spirit abides among you. Do not fear. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Once again in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake the nations, so that the treasure of the nations shall come, 
and I will fill this house with splendor, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The latter splendor of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give prosperity, says the Lord of hosts. Let us pray. Lord, as we recall the good old days, we also hear this promise of restoration for what is still hoped for, what we still long for, for the truth of fulfillment, Lord, that we find only in your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, make us into your people this morning as we hear your word. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So a couple of more things important from this passage. First, there's language in it that echoes of upheaval of the land. It's like the creation story, the chaos of the land and the sea over which the Spirit hovers, shaking and quaking, chaos that leads to something new. And second, I love this piece, the shaking is something that will cause the treasure of the nations to return to Israel. Do you catch that illusion that like when you shake your purse out to get that last couple of pennies or piece of gum that's stuck on the bottom? Or how about a little more dramatically, it's like a shakedown where the treasures of the nations are shook out and brought back to where they truly belong, which is God's house. Israel had been a crossroads of the nations, a great place of commerce and wealth. And think of King Solomon of the Old Testament, the pinnacle of the Israelite dynasty, with his immense treasure and global trade partnerships. Behind these metaphors in the text, we hear a concluding, consoling truth. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The treasures of the nations, the glory of Israel, all the good old glory days belong to the Lord. It is always and will always belong to God. We should hear this as a beautiful promise, not selfish hoarding, but as a celebration of the treasure of all creation, breaking forth of all goodness from the corners of the earth, brought back to its place of fulfillment. This has been and always will be the story of God's people. It's a promise that the house of God in that house of God, all nations will find home, a place of belonging and rest, home for all people. Now, I want to go back to my glory days, or maybe back to your glory days, or maybe back to our collective glory days. As a church, a community, a city, a nation, hear the last verse, verse 9 with the good old days in mind, with summer of 69 in mind. The latter splendor of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give prosperity, says the Lord of hosts. Was it the summer of 69? Was it college days? Was it newlywed days? Was it some era of greatness for our people? Was it the days when the church was bursting with people and programs and assets? 
Was it some sort of idyllic post-war suburban America in the 1950s? The latter splendor of the house shall be greater than the former. Friends, let's just be honest with ourselves. We know that those good old days weren't always good. Sometimes they were downright awful. If, like Israel, we keep looking back to the best days of our life, we miss out. I want to close this morning's sermon with a couple of alternative ways of reading this text, which I hope give us some hope for the future as well as honor the good of the past. The first has to do with Veterans Day. Tomorrow, our nation celebrates our veterans. I know that there's members of this congregation who served in the armed forces. And before I go on, I want to say thank you to you, for those of you who served, who gave and sacrificed and committed your life for others' lives. Bless you for this. To look back on times of war, it's easy to glorify the stories. But anyone who has served or interacted closely with someone who has served also knows that while there was glory in it, it was also mixed greatly with sorrow and pain. I do not imagine many would say that those were the best days of their lives. Rather, they were struggle. They were hard. I wonder, as we look at this promising passage of hope for the better, a restored way in God's kingdom, we might see that the stories of veterans among us and see the opportunity for something better to come along for them. What I mean is, we don't seek to restore times of war. Rather, could we be a people who care for our veterans in their pain and in their grief and in their struggle? Could we not honor the, vi the violence and horror of war, but rather honor the pain of brothers and sisters who serve by serving them? by caring for the people who come home, wounded and in need of care. We don't honor and restore their pain through military parades. We do this by providing good medical care for them, mental health care, stability to enter back into the world as peaceful members of society. We seek restoration in the house of the Lord because we care for our wounded. Another example. We is how we honor the legacy of our church. We've been a church here on the South Hill of Bellingham, Washington for over 130 years. This has been a place of spiritual formation and growth in the way of Jesus for generations of people in this community. Many have been baptized. Many have been called into service. Many have been ordained to God's particular call on their lives and sent out, commissioned to serve with love and justice. But we can't go back to a time long gone. It doesn't work like that. Our work of restoration does not look like turning back the clock or simply maintaining what is. Our work of honoring the legacy of this church is to always look ahead at what the next opportunity to serve and grow is. What is God calling us to today and tomorrow? 
This is such a challenge because we seek to honor the faith of our ancestors, the faith of our youth. But do we do this when we maintain? Or do we do this when we expand? Do we honor the promise of what was by holding tightly? Or do we honor the promise of God's restorative power by looking for what is broken among us right here and right now and pursuing ways of care and mercy and justice right here and right now? I hope you hear what I'm getting at. The church, this church, has had a legacy of pushing in in areas of deepest need in our community. Today, we honor this legacy by caring for the unhoused and the vulnerable in our community. We do this by fighting for justice for those who cannot speak up because of their immigration status or their color of their skin. We do this by seeking to protect the earth for our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren, those from which we are borrowing the land and passing it on tomorrow. This is the legacy and the promise that we sustain. The latter, of the, ho- the latter splendor of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. I want to close us with words from Jesus that echo this promise. Or perhaps we should say they deepen and fulfill this promise as Jesus commissions us. Jesus says in John chapter 14, Very truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do works that I do and, in fact, will do greater works than these because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask of anything, I will do it. My friends, Jesus is inviting us to be part of restoring the house of God. Not from the good old days, but something greater. Something more. Something for this very moment in time. And so we pray. May it be so with us, O Lord. May it be still. Amen.